What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Many Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, we're talking animals that are unusually musical. Music isn't just something that nearly every human on the planet loves, but something that can be found from up in the skies to deep under the ocean. And we have a special guest from NASA who uses music to educate and inspire. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, do all birds like Taylor Swift or just the Swifts? Joelle Monique, our lovely producer, is back with us again on a hot mic. And joining me today is NASA engineer, creator, educator, and musician, Deja Williams. Welcome, Deja. Hi, how are you? I am really good. I'm so excited to talk about music with you. I It's always fascinated me how it's its own language where you just like listen to a piece of music and you feel this raw emotion and it feels like we're sort of connected to the natural world in a way. And so I'm, I'm just so excited about this topic and I'm so excited to have you. I've never, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone from NASA before. (laughs) Yeah. I'm excited to do this too. I I never, I've always had an appreciation for uh, just natural sounds. I love when I see people, making uh instrumentals or beats to like just things that they have at their house whether it's a pen or like or or the wind or the river sound so i'm I'm super excited to look at music in a different perspective today yes yes and we will have an interview with you in the middle of the episode where we will talk about your own musical talent you create songs to help get people interested in STEM, in math and engineering, which is really exciting. It's a wonderful way to learn through music. I remember, I mean, this is kind of funny, but I remember I could only learn the the U.S. states through that Animaniac song. Do you remember that? uh, (laughs) 
Oklahoma does it did it. I, I, think <laughs> I, I don't remember talk. it now, but yeah. as a kid, it helped me. Helped me immensely pass that test. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm trying to think of it so bad. I can't think of how it goes. But yes, that that was the song of our fifth grade year. That was our thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it helps unlock a part of your brain, I think. It's like, in fact, like there's this whole thing where people who have suffered some kind of brain trauma, either through a stroke or brain injury, even if they can't talk, sometimes they can still sing because it's a different part of the brain. So if the part of the brain that allows them to sing or play music is still functioning, then they can sing and play music, but they can't like, and they can maybe communicate through using their singing voice instead of their talking voice, which is, I think, really fascinating. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's such a mysterious thing. And as we'll talk about later in the episode, some of these mysteries of music, especially when it comes to music and nature, have yet to be discovered, but they are really interesting and really exciting. Wait, can I ask before we move on, Deisha, how'd you get into like music? Oh my God. Great, great question. So I got into music. My my family played a huge influence. Every year we have this thing. It's not necessarily a family reunion. We call it a pig party. But every, <laughs> everybody goes down to Atlanta and we have a talent show where everybody in the family has to participate, especially the kids. So I would have my bigger cousins write me raps and, and things of that sort. Or um, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. So Nelly was huge at the time. So we would always like rap Nelly song. So that that's what got me like in tune with music, uh, trying to be prepared for the family <laughs> talent show. How'd you do? I, I did pretty good. My cousins always beat me out, but look, I'm I'm the one doing the music now. Hey. So, you know, I, I got to make sure that they don't hear this. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> You're calling them out. I am, I am. Speaking of learning music from a young age, I do want to talk first about birds, which I think are the most iconic animal musicians. It's the iconic animal who makes music in a way where we feel that by just hearing them sing, we can sort of understand them in a way that is otherwise hard to understand. Joelle, I know that your relationships with birds mm -hmm. is a little bit iffy. Oh, I but... <laughs> It listen, even bird calls, which we all know are actually dinosaur screams, are uh they vary. Some are very nice and you're like, wow, what a wonderful way to like wake up in the morning. And sometimes a giant raven is sitting in the palm tree outside of your house staring at you singing and you're like, I know you hold grudges. I feel like I haven't done anything specifically to you, but maybe the birds know that I'm afraid of them and they're stalking my space. I don't know. I want to love the bird music because I know it's important to them. I know it's like what keeps them alive and how they communicate and find a partner and stuff. It's very romantic. I'm still horrified of the dinosaur screeches that accompany every sunrise. That's very metal. It's scary. <laughs> that is hilarious. I, the cousin who actually puts on the pig party, he actually is scared of birds himself. And he calls it, he says that him and birds just have a misunderstanding. He doesn't like. He doesn't like to say that he's scared of. That he just said, "Yeah, we just have a little misunderstanding. Nothing too, nothing too crazy." Look, they can do their things. I'm not the kind of person who advocates like throwing rocks at birds or like no. running at them so they're scared. None of that. None of that. None of that. 
you know, I would just like them to stay over there and I'll just be over here and we're good. Right. Like we can You have a exist. you have a healthy respect for the dinosaurs of today that we know I as birds. Do. I do. <laughs> I'm aware of their power. Well, hopefully I will be able to convince you to enjoy bird music because actually so there are kind of different types of bird vocalizations. It's not all bird songs. So a lot of the stuff you hear from like, say, a crow or those like bird calls that you hear, it's technically not bird song. Although there's, with everything in evolutionary biology, like the borders are kind of fuzzy. So bird calls are simple vocalizations that are often less pleasing to our human ears. And bird songs, which are longer, they're more elaborate, they're more complex, and we typically find them a lot more pleasing to our ears. So generally speaking, bird calls, like a, a, that raven staring at you, Joelle, going, Brah! that is sort of a short and sweet kind of communication. It's often like an alarm, like, hey, watch out for that hawk, or like, hey, I'm over here, where are you? or hey, stop that, or just, you know, generally these like little snippets of communication. Whereas bird songs are longer and more complex. So for example, I wanna talk about the musician wren, which is a little rust colored bird with white spots on its neck and dark bands on its wings. It's found in the Amazon rainforest. And there is a musician wren call and I, I want you to listen to the difference between its call and its song because it's quite, quite remarkable. So here's the call. And here's the song. difference between like a whistle as you're walking down the street and like a honk slash whistle of trying to call someone's attention from across the field it's very right. different that's crazy so they and all the is it okay are birds like um snowflakes for each of their songs <laughs> are different are they composing are they building off of one another is there a bach level bird who's like that bird was a master <laughs> songwriter <laughs> those are extremely good questions, and those are questions that are often the focus of zoo musicology studies and ornithology studies. So I would say that the answer is going to depend on the species of birds. Usually what happens with bird song is that you have your little baby birds, and they have this instinctive understanding of which bird songs they're supposed to listen to to pick up on somehow, which is interesting because bird songs do evolve over time. So that mechanism of them being like, ah, that's that's one of that's one of my family. I know I got to listen to that uh, is kind of mysterious, but they do learn specific songs that like all of their species of birds are going to be doing. However, they also can in some species and it differs like some species have these big repertoires of songs some species just have a couple of songs and generally you can have this big repertoire of like variations on these bird songs and you could definitely have a bird bach who kind of like innovates a little bit and then passes that song on to other birds if it catches on so there is bird innovation in songs and it is really interesting to see that happen 
it's partially innate. There's a partially instinctive ability to sing and then it's partially learned, which is actually, you know, there's a lot of debate on how humans pick up on language, but it's, there's sort of this idea that, you know, we have these structures in our brain that are really good at creating language, but then we have to learn it. So we learn it from each other. So it's a potentially similar things with birds and we can learn a lot about human communication through bird communication. Could we study like, a, I want a Jackson Family Five birds. I want to <laughs> see like the little Michael, you know, does Tito finally learn to like hit those dance steps at the right time? I feel like this is the most interested I've ever been in birds because it's a reality <laughs> TV show waiting to happen. I want to see how the birds are evolving, what they're learning from their parents week to week. Are they mm -hmm. getting stronger? Or are they frustrated that the judges don't like what they're doing? This could be very interesting. They actually practice their song and it is called sub song when they practice their song. It's kind of these little like very quiet kind of uncertain little practicing like almost like they're singing the songs under their breath like okay da 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 boop 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 and then so they're kind of learning the song and then as they get older and start to get more confident in their song it starts to get stronger and stronger and they they will finally reach this age where they can actually sing and sing well and the reason that they sing is that they are actually advertising that they're great birds <laughs> so <laughs> what that's it this is unbelievable wow I, I didn't know that they they this is li literally how humans are feel yeah learn anything the drums or you know whatever like that's Practice. pretty cool does that story yeah, remind you of getting ready to do your raps in front of your family? Is where you like under no, your like, breath, like let me yeah. just get the rhythm right. Everything that she's saying, she's like, oh, they have this innate ability to da da da. da. We, I mean, we have an innate ability to either some people can stay on beat or they can't type of deal. <laughs> so um, yeah, I see a lot of similarities in how I learn music or watching maybe a, a child in my family learn music. So this is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And there's also, similar to humans, there's this crystallization period for learning birdsong. So if you don't expose a baby bird to birdsong when it's still immature, it actually can't learn it in adulthood, which is similar to how humans, they, we seem to have this period of time that where we can learn language. And if, like, say someone who is basically these children who have been like not exposed to human society. It's very, very rare that this happens. It's usually a, a lost child and then they get lost somewhere where they don't have contact with, with other people and then they get found. They struggle very much. They can kind of learn language a little bit, but they really struggle because it seems to be something that we basically have this crystallization period where like kids are great at learning language. It's astounding how how smart and good they are at, at picking up on language just by absorbing it. And the, it's the same similar thing with baby birds. They pick up this bird song and they learn it. And the whole reason they sing to each other is they're essentially advertising either to mates or to rivals that they are very talented, which means they <laughs> which is sort of an advertisement of their overall health. So Research has shown that high quality songs help indicate health. So there's a connection between the tempo of the bird songs and whether they have disease or parasites or their overall physical welfare. So like 
if they kind of it's basically if you have rhythm as a bird it means you're healthy and if you're kind of like maybe off key a little bit off tempo it means you might be dealing with some some itchy skin mites or something oh wow yeah is there a song that we can sing as humans to find out if i if you're sick or not <laughs> that would be really cool if we could just like oh, and then you know whether you need to go to the doctor or not yeah unfortunately it's going to be show tunes <laughs> speak for yourself missy i will show tunes my way through an illness let's do this uh i'm ready for the talent competition as well i would like an american idol version of the songs I yeah. think that they would be beautiful. And I do think that if humans could sing their despair, it would be more like a Glee episode. It's like It would be a lot of mashup songs. It would be people trying to express their feelings through multiple songs and yeah. singing terribly. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of Glee, actually, so like I said, there's two main reasons that bird song happens and one is mating advertising yourself to mate like hey like i have the mental acuity and the physical fitness to sing this amazing song you should mate with me but the other reason is to advertise to rivals that you're awesome and amazing and you you can go at any time bro but we don't have to resort to violence because we can just settle this by seeing which one of us is going to be better at defending our territory through our songs Whoa. and they have these like they have these song fights. So like there will be a bird singing in its territory, and usually, so typically, it's the male birds that sing. So the birds have rap battles. So the they birds do. are having rap yes. battles. That's yes. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I gotta tell everybody that birds have rap battles. We're not they the do. only ones. Oh my god. They do. And they'll like compete with each other so that so one of the birds will sing a song in its repertoire and then another bird will sing either that same song or maybe a slightly different version of that song to say like hey, anything you can do, like I can do better essentially. And and they'll go back and forth to both advertise themselves in front of mates like hey, you you think this guy is good, like look at me. Um but also like to uh work out territory disputes without having to resort to actual fighting because they're like, hey, you know, like, listen, you don't want to mess with me. I have this extremely sick beat that you do not want to mess with. Oh, my God. I am mind blown right now. I just I got to take that to the classroom. Like, I got to <laughs> teach them about birds and and have them. Ba yeah, that's a that's really cool. Wow. Do these yeah. battles ever get bloody? Does it ever go beyond just singing? And how is a winner determined? A winner is determined by sort of the bird's taste in music. So again, like if it has the right tempo, if they have a big, sometimes in some species, if you have a bigger repertoire to draw from, that means that you are chosen more by mates or respected more by other birds. Like birds will, like if, if a bird is advertising its territory and it's a better singer by the metrics that these birds have chosen, then rivals will not challenge that bird as much because they're like, hey, you're probably kind of a badass and I don't want to deal with you. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is, I think it, it's not that they never resort to sort of squabbles and violence. I think it is a way to avoid that though, because if you can advertise your physical fitness without having to resort to violence, then it kind of works out for everyone because then it's like, hey, we don't really, a, a lot of animals do this too, by the way. Like some animals do it by like comparing their jaw size. Like they'll open up their mouths and be like, oh, I have a bigger jaw than you. 
so we don't have to actually do this and then it benefits them both because like the the winner doesn't have to get any like expend energy or get any injuries from it and the loser you know avoids probably what's going to be a losing yeah exactly a losing confrontation nobody wants that so you know music it's a way to resolve bird disputes (laughs) i think that's great (laughs) so powerful i'm impressed yeah 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 and like i said so it's bird song is generally something that male birds do but female birds sometimes sing so like because males are often the ones that are advertising themselves to mates or defending territory they'll often be uh, in a lot of species they're the ones that produce bird song but in areas where birds actually have a lower risk of mortality so like in the amazon where they have fewer predators and more resources and also being having a lower rate of mortality means that they can form these stronger pair bonds with each other because it's like you know it's more beneficial to be monogamous if your monogamous partner isn't going to get eaten by a cat or something Mm -hmm. so in those areas females actually also sing which seems to indicate that first of all because that may strengthen their pair bond and also in other areas where They have these shorter, unpredictable breeding opportunity windows, like in the deserts of Australia and Africa, where weather conditions are really erratic. Both males and females sing because it it just increases their chances that they're going to find each other as quickly as possible while the conditions are right to breed. So it's really interesting how, like, these environmental factors really influence whether you're going to have a boy band or, you know, boy and girl bands. So are the birds chorusing together? Is it multiple voices at once? It can be. So sometimes it's a single bird singing a song of advertisement like, hey, come mate with me or stay out of my, stay off my porch. Um, Or it is, they can be duets. So a pair bond can sing a duet to strengthen their relationship, essentially. I mean, just like any sort of good musical. <laughs> it's like when your parents do the two-step in the kitchen and their bond yes. is like solidified. Exactly. I exactly. love that. It's so romantic. Yeah. And then you can have like birds duetting as a form of rivalry where it's like they're singing a duet to kind of like see who's the better singer. So yeah, they they uh, it, it is really interesting. And there's, I mean, it really depends on the species of birds because there's a whole variety of behavior. So I'm kind of like generalizing, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And, and I, I love, I love the, the whole thing of like birds singing duets together. It's so sweet. So romantic. And the way birds actually can produce music is really interesting just on the sort of physics side of it. So, uh, birds don't have a larynx like humans do. They have a syrinx, which is, you know, the bird version of a larynx. <laughs> so it's similar to how a larynx works where, air is forced past membranes that vibrate in a resonance chamber that produces sound kind of like the strings of a violin when those strings vibrate they produce a sound and then you have the resonance chamber in the body of the violin but what's interesting about the syrinx is that it allows them to create two notes at once because they can control muscles on either side of the syrinx independently so like how a pianist can like control both hands and play different notes at once like a bird can play two notes at once you guys know there are humans who can sing two notes at the same time yeah isn't that the uh, throat singing yeah yeah throat singing is incredible polyphonic overtone singing 
Yeah. Javier. Yeah. Oh and I it's <laughs> with throat singing i think what's happening is basically what happens when you are switching from one register to another with singing where it's like now i'm not like a vocal expert with uh with human singing but you can it's like switching from a certain register of singing to like a falsetto-ish register. It might might not technically be falsetto. I'm, I apologize to all the uh, all the vocal coaches <laughs> out there that are just like no. But you're. It's basically you have these two distinct registers of singing that that happen in different parts of the larynx and different parts of the the um, sort of like like glottal area. And then if you basically get sort of like between them or like right at that bridge between them, if you can kind of lean into that, you can get those two registers kind of like going uh, simultaneously, and that's how you get that really interesting, incredible uh, throat singing. There's a ton ton of videos on YouTube if you guys want to look it up and check it out. Sometimes yeah. you'll see people like manually manipulating their throat trying to achieve that like dual tone. Some people can just do it with their like nose and like just by yeah. opening their mouth at a certain angle and like getting the air to hit the chords. It is the craziest thing you've ever heard though. You're yeah. like, I'm sure there are aliens in that person. This is a Men in Black episode and they're just lying <laughs> to us. We've been mind wiped. I remember I tried to do that when I first found out about it and I just sound like, oh, <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> singing is not necessarily my strong suit and i actually have an example of that yes it's a wood thrush this is what every morning in illinois sounds like i just want if you live <laughs> In the back country of Illinois, where there are many a tree and cornfield, this is what you woke up to every morning. It is giving me very strange nostalgia, but it's also <laughs> it is very beautiful. This is one of the songs you just can't deny that it's it's just lovely. I love the I yeah. love the bird trills that it almost sounds digital, like it's been auto tuned. You know <laughs> what I mean? Because I think it is. It's one of those examples of it. It's playing two notes at once so it sounds kind of synthetic and digital because you oh, shouldn't so be able to like do that a, it's like going back and forth between that's yeah. crazy so what part of illinois are you from uh let's see so i was born in hazelcrest which uh, is like half an hour outside of chicago but i was raised in ottawa illinois which is like right next to starved rock the big state park okay okay i've heard i've heard of these places but I, I'm because I've heard this too. So I'm assuming is that like are these birds some of these birds in the Midwest, like you know, heavy in the Midwest? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's it's found in all over eastern, uh, eastern United States, and then probably into the Midwest a little bit, and then I think it tapers off a little bit as you get closer to the West Coast. Okay, that that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, it definitely could have been the wood thrush or another species of thrush uh, who also okay. do similar calls. I'm dubbing this the Beyonce of birds. <laughs> if you wanted her, you would have put a wing on her. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> oh, my God. So one 
question that I had as I was doing this research is why does birdsong sound so good to us? Like, is it like human song? Like, what do we find so appealing? Because there's nothing better than like, you know, you're out in nature and you're hearing birdsong and it's so relaxing and it sounds nice. Like, mm -hmm. there's all sorts of interesting animal vocalizations, but sometimes they don't really sound nice. They just, it's like, okay, that's interesting. I'm not into it, but it's cool. There was a zoo musicology study published in the Max Planck Institute of Ornithology that found that um, musician wrens, our, our little pal that we listened to at the beginning of the episode, uh, share a similar taste in music as humans. So the intervals in their music, which is like the difference in pitch between two notes, are the same as intervals found in music in most human cultures. So I'm not a musician. So this quote from the article doesn't make much sense to me. <laughs> so I'm hoping, but I'm hoping for for musicians, this will this will mean something. So the authors of the study say, quote, it is because musician wrens preferentially produce successive perfect octaves, fifths, and fourths that their songs sound musical to human listeners. So great. Cool. I love it. <laughs> Some facts Music. for you this morning. Take them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's interesting. Now, I wonder if we took these birds to different concerts, like who they would rank mm. high. Because, like, we know plants are classical creatures. They want to listen to mm -hmm. their box and their Beethovens. They're like a string and a trumpet, you know. But I, I wonder, like, you know, if we played, I don't know, some T-Swift for the birds, <laughs> if suddenly, you know, sort of like they pick up on um, birds in the Amazon where foresting is heavy will sometimes make the sounds of the saws or the trucks and make that yeah, the, part of their that's environment. The, that's the lyre bird, which there are birds that actually copy sounds. So they have su such a flexible ability to fill their repertoire with different kind of sounds. They don't just do like sort of a species specific song. They copy all sorts of sounds they found. They can like like you said, Joelle, just mimic exactly like a chainsaw. I would like to see, you know, some bird renditions of the 1989 Taylor Swift album. I want to know what, how they yes. feel about it, what their, you know, intonation of haters going to hate, hate, hate is like. <laughs> I think that would be brilliant. Um, you know, if we got a boy band number of, you know, if we get 12 for like a K-pop band. Right. Done. What does that sound like? I feel like birds have a, are holding back on us as, you know, I'm a bird conspiracist. Uh, I'm not one of the conspiracy people who believes birds don't exist, but I do believe birds are plotting for their takeover. And uh, I wonder, like, you know, if they're just like, these humans are so silly. They think their music is great. They don't know. They don't know what's around the corner. I would like to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have seen those birds in the videos like like cockatoo who like sort of seems to dance to yes. human music seems to bobs to the rhythm i was actually talking to a listener brian greco who is an assistant professor at university of wisconsin river falls in uh, the department of animal and food science and i was asking him his opinion on like how animals respond to music he was saying that sort of differences in tempo and the frequency of tones can have an effect on the um, activation of the parasympathetic nervous system. So like sort of that's, that's the same system that kind of engages you in, in excitement, 
uh, fight or flight or to calm down. And so he said, quote, this is well illustrated by the five jillion dancing parrot videos on YouTube. The vast majority of the selected songs are high tempo and many of the featured birds are displaying fight, flight or reproductive communication cues. So uh, and then he says, so music is exciting, be it scary or sexy. So birds are either finding the music to be a turn on and they're getting a little bit, you know, these are some some thirsty, horny birds or they are finding the music alarming and kind of feeling an, an excitement. It's possibly a fear excitement. It's hard to tell, like, the difference between fear arousal and excitement arousal. So it has something to do with the tempo and frequency. And I don't know how birds would react to uh, T-Swift. <laughs> These birds are giving me very Mad Max vibes. It's sexy, <laughs> but it's kind of scary. They like the loud, fast music. I'm telling you, overlords, they're coming for us. So I didn't invite a NASA engineer on the show to talk about music just because she's super smart and space is cool, but because Deja is a musician herself. When we return, we're going to talk about how she uses music to inspire and educate students about STEM. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to 
bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. X equals N is O, negative B, that's a modus square root of B square minus 4AC for sure. Now find a root over 2, A, root over 2, A, root over 2, A, root over 2. What you were just listening to is another one of Deja's songs. So now let's go behind the music and get a NASA engineer's scoop on how songs can spread knowledge. So Deja, I wanted to talk to you a bit about your experience, both as an engineer at NASA and as a musician. So first of all, for those of us who maybe aren't engineers, I'm pointing to myself, uh, can you kind of describe like what you do at, at NASA as an engineer? As an engineer at NASA, I'm a quality engineer. So my morning starts off with me uh, kind of going through a bunch of paperwork uh, on some discrepancies that I may have found the day before. Discrepancies meaning that there's something wrong with a part, literally anything on the space shaft. Well, we so, don't want that. <laughs> right, exactly. So I go through those discrepancies, send them to the actual engineers that are, you know, working that particular system. And it's their job to uh, take what I say and um, fix it, basically. Uh, and the, the quickest way to say that is just to fix it, right? So after I do all that paperwork, I go to different labs. I suit up. I put my mask on. I put my bunny suit on. Got my booties on. I go in the lab, and I start to uh, I inspect. I do a lot of inspecting on whether we're putting together something or we could we need to make sure that this part weighs this much or we need to make sure that this mechanism can hold as much weight as it's supposed to it could take this much force it could exist in this uh temperature or any type of anything like that we need to make sure that it's going to actually do what it's supposed to do in space so i'm there to make sure that the proper steps are being taken to make sure that we can rely on what we're sending up there that sounds incredibly important i'm really glad that you are making sure that the things that we send into space are you know, space worthy and not going to fall apart. And when we think about things like, hey, let's just build a spaceship, it kind of hurts my brain to try to think about all of the many, many, many steps and many, many people who have to be involved to do mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I can't, I don't even know where you start, like just like look, staring at a blank sheet of paper and then like, I don't know, drawing a spaceship like how do you even start with that but that's that's the thing a, a lot of us don't even know where it starts like there's not right. there's not one single person they could give you the rundown but w when it comes to actually doing it it takes a massive amount yes. of skill sets and uh it's it's a we have to be a huge team and some people don't like to admit that they think that their part is probably more important than someone else's but man, these you can't think that sending a rover to Mars can... Right. Yeah. 
That is so interesting. That's incredible that you do that. When did you first realize that you wanted to become an engineer? I started uh, getting interested in, in engineering while I was in high school. We had these classes called Project Lead the Way. And they uh, allowed you to design different like buildings, like uh, and things like that through a, a software called like AutoCAD. It was it was a it was a lower version than what they use in the industry, but it was still giving us an opportunity to design things on our own and and see how things worked. But I also had this little internship at the St. Louis Science Center called Youth Exploring Science. And they gave me a lot of opportunities to study things like explore, right? Mm -hmm. Things like chemistry, robotics, like um, just anything that you could think of. They, they were allowing us to do projects on them. And then they would take it a step further and put us into summer programs where we would actually teach it to elementary school. So Deja, can you talk about the importance of exploring, about just being allowed to open space, explore technology? And oh, STEM? it's, I just think that's where genuine learning comes from. It's just having that curiosity to see how something is working. How can I replicate that? How can I build that? Right. And then, or, and then another part of engineering is how can I make it better? How can I innovate this thing? So just having that genuine curiosity of, okay, how does my cell phone work? Do I have one that I can take apart? Okay, well, what's this thing? What's this thing? And then you just start Googling stuff and, okay, I got my answers. Obviously, it'll take a little bit more formal training to put bigger things together. But I do think that true learning and, and just being inquisitive, you got to teach kids to just explore the world around you. Like, it, look for answers. You can you can build whatever is in your hand. You can build that Nintendo. Like, I think one of the really cool things that you do is you use music to help inspire kids to have that interest in exploring. Uh, how do you use music to inspire and to educate, especially when it comes to engineering and, and to math and science, these things that I think are can be really intimidating mm -hmm. to kids. So the, the music for me is about breaking down uh, a barrier, more in particular, a, a language barrier. I feel like right now, education as a whole, not even just math and science, are given in a very, uh, it's, just, it's just one track. And we use the same words, through every curriculum, and it's not very diverse at all. So if I always use this example, I, I remember I had, I don't know if it was a physics question or something, but it, it had something to do with like skiing or uh, snowboarding or uh, how fast this kid was going. And I had, you know, the people in my classroom, they had been to Denver or to any, you know, they have been skiing before, so they could imagine that, oh, I was going pretty fast as I was skiing, so I could imagine. You had that lived experience. Right. So when we break break down the language and we start talking in a way that different particular groups of kids that they can understand, it, it's going to be a more enjoyable learning experience. So music for me, especially with black and brown kids, we love, well, all kids love hip hop, but you know, that, that, I know that's the music that touches my community the most. So let me try to break it down into their language. Like in my song, like, uh, one inch and 2.5 for centimeters, your future brighter than a ring on my pinky finger. Like 
like jewelry is such so huge in the rap community. So let me put that, let me mix some of that into the science stuff. So they thinking, we singing about diamond rings and whatnot, but <laughs> you don't even know that you're memorizing that, these conversions in the song. Right. Because you're, I mean, I think that's something that is often overlooked in education. We assume you get a textbook, you have a curriculum, and oh, that works for every every kid. And mm-hmm. of course, no, you know, children are extremely influenced by their environment in which they grow up. You can't like teach a kid in New York, like, all right, so let's talk to you about surfing and use that as a metaphor for like, it's like, well, right, right. nobody surfs here. What are you talking about? Exactly. So it, it's just, I think that's incredible. I'm going to play a sample of one of your songs right now for our listeners to hear. First of all, because it's a really wonderful song. I love it. It's so catchy. Just to give you a taste of like how you can make something that, you know, if you talk, tell a kid like, we're going to learn about how to convert units and you can feel their soul leave their body but (laughs) but when you do it like this it's so fun i was listening to this and i'm someone who like i don't remember unit conversion home now i'm like oh right yeah this makes sense i want to relearn this oh wow that is awesome yeah so let me play that right now you gotta keep your head in the bus. Three feet, in one yard. Just study, show the teacher you a star. Seventeen, sixty yards in the mile. Success to make your family really proud. Could you talk a little bit about the creative process for you, like when you are creating an educational song? Like, how do you pick out a topic that you think would be really useful for kids to have? Unit conversions. I came up with an idea to do that one because I was actually at work and we were trying to uh, do a test on some type of part and we had to put X amount of pounds in it on, on or on the piece of hardware, but our, our instructions were in kilograms. So mm. we needed to convert that. And I literally was like, oh my God, I remember having to do this when I was younger and let me just make a song about it. <laughs> yeah, that that's I'm choosing topics that touch a wide range of ages, demographics right now until I get the the resources to do like, okay, this is first grade, this is second grade, this is third grade math. What does music mean to you and what does it mean to get to express your interest in STEM and engineering through music? That is a really good question. Music is I don't know it's everything to me I don't want to sound cliche but I, uh, when I first when I first got out here to um, LA for my job um, I was focused on the job and I didn't get to express myself or do any music and it really took me like I I just was sad and I didn't and I didn't know why like I just couldn't figure out. It's just like, you just got this really good job. You're moving to the West Coast from Missouri. Like, this is a great time. But what I realized, the missing key ingredient to what makes me happy is the music. So it, it's it's a safe haven for me. It's a way to um, just feel something, you know? Um, yeah, I can't, I can't do it without it. But because of that, 
that's how I came with the idea to fuse the two. It's like, okay, these these worlds don't too, have to be totally separate for me. I can mix yeah. them and also give back and teach at the same time, you know, and make and affect some change. So music is it, it's really huge in my life. That's amazing. Yeah, that, that's I love that so much. It's it, it I think music really taps into something so deep inside of us and to use that to reach out to kids to make something that, you know, to to sort of spark this scientific curiosity in them. I love that. Mm -hmm. Music can educate, inspire, and it taps so directly into our emotions, maybe it can make us care about endangered species that may not be as cuddly as a panda or a koala. A listener, Talisker Diaries on Instagram, sent me a story about folk music that is about saving the bees. Climate change, disease, colony collapse disorder, pesticides have all caused a lot of problems for bee populations, for both honeybees and wild bees. Song Hive is an archive project started by traditional Irish fiddler Rowan Piggott, who is putting together folk songs about bees to stir up buzz about bees for bee-related environmentalist causes such as the bee cause. So here's a little musical sting in the key of bee. This one is sung by Rosie Hodgson. Bees, bees, hark to your bees. Hide from your neighbours as much as you please. But all that has happened to us you must tell, or else we will give you no honey to sell. A maiden in her glory upon her wedding day must tell the bees a story or else they'll fly away. Fly away, die away, dwindle down and leave you. But if you never grieve your bees, your bees will never grieve you. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. I'm a worker by nature, I freely admit, and I spend all my days in the fields at a tiring old trade, which may well be unpaid, which brings all the farmers' days. That was another song by Irish fiddler Rowan Piggott about honeybees. But to explore one of the most mysterious songs in the world, we need to get to know an animal that's over 500 million times bigger than a honeybee. So now I want to talk about one of the most incredible mysteries in animal behavior, and that is whale song, which even listening to it, I get chills because it's so there's something so ethereal about it do you have you guys listened do you guys listen to whale song <laughs> do you guys have you heard of it it's a band called whale song <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh my gosh i can't wait uh my spiritualist when we're meditating likes to play it as we're talking about living in los angeles i'll just reveal my whole list los angelino self so yeah i've been i've been <laughs> meditating with the whale sounds yeah nice. well look i just play whale sounds sometimes too so you're you're good here <laughs> so what exactly is whale song so whale song is produced by two species of baleen whales and that is what we basically know as whale song so the humpback whale and the blue whale the, the blue whale being the biggest animal ever <laughs> it's just huge and then cetaceans, so that's the, the animals that, uh, the marine mammals that includes whales, dolphins. In general, they all communicate with these very complex vocalizations like clicks. Uh, they can even have dialects, like how the sperm whale seems to have these dialects of clicks. But whale song, as we know it, as the sort of like melodic variety of frequencies and tones, is specific to the humpback and blue whales. And so here is a humpback whale song, which sounds a little bit like a haunted violin. And here is a blue whale song, which sounds like we're in a sci-fi. Oh my god. This is crazy. It makes me want to like take some 
tidbits out of it or sound bites and make mm-hmm. a beat from it. Like I could definitely make some music from this. Yeah. Oh, I'd lo- if so you do cool. that, let me know because okay. I would love to hear that. Awesome. Uh, you know, like when you hear a piece of music that just kind of brings you to tears a little bit, mm-hmm. it makes you so emotional. I feel that way when I listen to Whale Song where I kind of want to cry because mm-hmm. it's like so there's something really hauntingly beautiful about it. Mm-hmm. Also, when you investigate the story behind Whale Song, it is still haunting because it's so mysterious and interesting and it gives you this sense of the unknown that we know so little about the world's largest mammal the world's largest animal even so the way we hear whale song is probably different from how whales hear it because we're listening with underwater microphones then we're listening to a recording through our human ears but the way that it hits whales is going to be different because whales listen directly through the water And they don't have external ears like we do. They have these internal ears and it resonates through their jaw and bones and and fatty tissues and and into their ears. I don't know what it's like to hear a whale song as a whale. We only know what it's like to hear a whale song as a human with our our weird human ears. Mm -hmm. So that, that itself is pretty hard to try to try to conceptualize there's something there's something a little haunting about that when i think about like i can i can never really understand what it's like to hear a sound as a whale because their experience of that is going to be so completely different mm-hmm. i imagine if you put your head underwater and then cover your ears like real okay. good with your hands mm-hmm. and then like scream melodically under right. the water we're probably getting close to what a whale is hearing hang on i'm, I'm gonna be right back okay now i'm wet and uh <laughs> i don't understand anything <laughs> don't try that at home i feel like don't do it children your parents are gonna be mad we're gonna get all kinds of phone calls no good <laughs> and our heads aren't really designed to hear sound underwater, whereas whales, again, it's like they have these resonant chambers inside their heads that lead to their ears, so the way they experience the sound is probably more full than we can as humans. And it's interesting because these baleen whales, at least these two species of baleen whales, have this like different method of communication than the toothed whales, the whales with teeth, and it may have something to do with the difference in basically their feeding behavior. So the humpback and blue whale may focus on hearing low frequency sounds for long distance communication, whereas toothed whales like dolphins, orcas, and sperm whales focus on higher frequencies to communicate and echolocate in their more immediate surrounding because they actually hunt for Fish, whereas baleen whales, like the humpback and the blue whales, they feed by taking in huge gulps of seawater and then smooshing it out through that baleen, which is that keratin structure at the front of their mouth that looks like a push broom all over their mouth. Mm -hmm. And then as they shove that seawater out of their mouth inside of the bristles, all these little krill and other tasty little edible sea creatures get stuck in there and then they just eat that up. So they're more, a much more passive feeder. They don't have to chase after any prey to eat it. Mm-hmm. So for them, having that immediate echolocation 
around them and immediate communication close by is not as important as perhaps more long distance communication to be able to locate other members of their group over long distances um, or to find mates. It's also a, an interesting question about whether baleen whales actually echolocate. We don't really know. It seems like we should, at this point, know that about them, but we don't. We There's some research that seems to suggest, no, they're not really, they don't really rely on echolocation, but there's other research that's, that's showing that, like, hey, maybe they're songs and their vocalizations actually could be used for echolocation. We just, we don't know. That's always fun in science when we just don't mm -hmm. know something. I like the idea of uh, a humpback whale or even a blue whale being their own GPS system, but it's like <laughs> a very dope music. You know what I mean? So instead of like, we get boring, like, turn left here. They're like really general, like, turn left here. And it's like all, yeah, disco whales. I'm here for it. Oh, disco whales. <laughs> disco I love that. Whales. Yes, yes. Oh, that would be great. I feel like whatever research study comes out to see if these singing whales use that to echolocate, it should be called disco whales. And I won't accept anything else. <laughs> the question is, what do they use their, their whale song? What do humpback whales and blue whales use their songs for? We kind of are going to get a little bit back into like what we learned about birds. So both males and females will do vocalizations, like these like sort of smaller vocalizations that seem to be more for communicating with other individuals close by to them. But those long, melodic, haunting songs is really just coming from the males. So that's a similar thing that, that we see in many bird species where it tends to be the male birds singing rather than the females. So that may give us some hints about like this could potentially have something to do with mating, but we've never really observed blue whales or humpback whales mating, so we don't know. <laughs> these are private creatures. We study the hell out of these guys. We've never like once been like, oh, that's how they do it. There's just not that much documentation on Whoa. how their mating works. They are very... I think it's just the difficulty of you can't like position researchers down under deep underwater for months on end just hoping something happens. Now you'd think that there'd be an eccentric billionaire that creates a submarine that people can live in and like stalks whales and is like, come on, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> I'm trying to study. I like to think they're like puritanical and they like go like mm -hmm. way, way down deep where there's no light and they're like, this is perfect. Like Yeah. Yeah, Intimate. they have like a they have like a cottage down at the bottom of the ocean, and like the whale groom is carrying the whale bride behind the, to the doors of the giant whale cottage, and you know, so or just oh like a God. yeah. <laughs> so what one thing that's interesting is that you can actually kind of identify groups of whales based on the songs that they're singing. So Joel, you asked a really interesting question at the top of the episode about birds, about like, you know, do they have these individual songs? Do they change over time? And that's, we talked about what that is like for the birds, but for these whales, their songs slowly evolve over time and is specific to each group of whales. So you may have a group of whales from one region and a group of whales from another region and their songs are gonna be different 
um, from each other. And then they're also going to slowly evolve over time into sort of different types of songs. So like when you take sort of a, a slice in time of what's happening with these whales, it'll sound like they have just one song that this group sings. And that, that's true. Then like a few decades from now, that song's going to be a little different, but they are all singing that same song. So that's, again, really interesting. It just seems like these songs are actually part of the whale's culture that they learn. And then it evolves much like human music. It evolves over time, which is, I think, really interesting. I feel you have to name these clans of whales. We need to <laughs> oh. merchandise them, give them like color coding systems or something so that people can attach and like you pick mm -hmm. your favorite Harry Potter house, you pick your mm. favorite whale clan, and then you just really mm -hmm. rock with that song. And then I don't know how we can do it safely because I know sonar is messing with the whales and the way they either patterns and swimming and stuff. But like if we could project the music back at them and be like, this is our mm. remix of your ancient family <laughs> song and just see what the reaction is. I feel can like we, we sample start... you, please. Exactly. <laughs> we need to start partnering with our animal earth friends and, and make yeah. new music. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. A collab. But then we're just going to get into these like, oh, is this post-industrial whale rock? Or is this like, <laughs> is this sort of like avant-garde whale rock? That's and it's going to be insufferable. Categorizing. It's be insufferable. You're a scientist. <laughs> this is the best part. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the purpose of these songs is highly mysterious the leading theories are that it is used by males to find mates over long distances used by males to induce estrus in females that is to make them ready to mate which i'm not exactly sure about that one but maybe very white <laughs> whales i'm here for it <laughs> give us the baritone set the mood sir <laughs> and then um it could also be as a way to communicate or to warn other males of their presence. So similar to birds where it's like, hey, this is my territory. Like we don't have to like, I, I don't think whales really fight each other that much, but it's just a way of like saying, hey, let's, you know, we don't need to, we don't need to bonk into each other. We don't need to like uh, compete over resources in this territory. Let's kind of maintain this distance so that we each have our, little slice of ocean life mm -hmm. could also be to communicate with distant groups uh so like you know you have a a whale or two over here and it's like hey how are you guys over there but it's like way miles away that's pretty cool yeah yeah whales on their cell phones but they're just like right where are you guys <laughs> Do you want to get McDonald's? But it's C McDonald's. <laughs> that that makes me think about evolution period. Because say something, I, ooh, should I say this? Just say something catastrophic happens. You got the whales; they can communicate really far. You got the birds who can sing to each other. And just communicate, but then our power goes out. What are we gonna do? <laughs> That's why we must form an alliance with the birds and the whales, so we have have agents both in the air and in the seas. Okay, 
There's actually some research on blue whales. Anna Sirvik and her team of oceanographers at Scripps Institute of Oceanography in La Jolla, California, which is actually in the same department that my dad works. So this is definitely nepotism and bias that I am, you know, full disclosure. But they did a study on blue whales and they found that Blue whales dive down deeper in the ocean to do their songs. And because the nature of the water changes as you get deeper and like the, the water pressure increases and allows for further transmission of these sounds, it seems to indicate that they are diving down deeper in order to transmit their songs across further distances. So that does seem to indicate that these whale songs are for long distance relationships whereas the their other vocalizations they are closer to the surface of the water so that seems to indicate that is more for like sort of a short shorter distance communication so yeah it's it's one of those things where when you're feeling like oh we already know everything about the natural world what's left for me to do as a young aspiring scientist it's like no we do, we we don't know anything right right <laughs> There's so little we know. And I, I actually feel like, Deja, that the deep ocean is kind of similar to space and how mysterious it is. Absolutely. Like, when you spoke about uh, a submarine, having a submarine that people, some tech whiz or something, uh, having a submarine that someone could live down there or as deep as you possibly could go, that's the same thing in space. We're trying to get like hotels or just regular human Space, right. flight, travel. So things are happening on both ends of the spectrum. It's <laughs> actually pretty cool. So that we can discover space whales. Hey, that was... Cosmic disco whales. God, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone listening who is an aspiring scientist, an aspiring evolutionary biologist, or any anything in the field of STEM, listen to, listen to some music, get inspired, and please discover the mystery of whales because maybe they know the meaning of life and we're they're just singing about the meaning of life and all of life's answers and we just don't know what they're saying. Be the first to crack the code. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Deja, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you talking about the work you do and the wonderful music that you make that is, it's, I really, I will include a link to it because I feel like people really should check it out. It's such, I love, I love, I don't know, I, I, I get, I get chills thinking about just like combining music with education. It's amazing. Nice. Um, can, uh, where, where can people find you? Um, so you can find me on my website at DejaWilliams.com or you can follow me on Instagram where I'm most present at, uh, Deja, D-A-J-A-E dot Monet, or the same thing on Twitter, but instead of a period, it's a underscore. And Joel, where can people find you? Oh, you guys know me. You can find me all over the internet at Joel Monique. That's J-O-E-L-L-E-M-O-N-I-Q-U-E. And you can find us at Creature Feature Pod on Instagram, at Creature Feet Pod on Twitter. That's F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T. That is something very different. And you can find me at Katie Golden on Twitter, where, you know, just post my Katie thoughts. And as always, I am also at Pro Bird Rights, where 
Look, this wasn't bird propaganda, <laughs> and I'll sue you if you claim it was. <laughs> Thank you so much to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next Wednesday. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.